Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. When thinking about your journey towards better health, do you think about water? It's no secret. We know how important it is to drink water, but we often forget to consider the quality and safety of the water we are drinking every day. Research shows that despite where you live, there is a high likelihood your tap water may not be as clean and safe as you think. Clearly Filtered is on a mission to help you and your family stay hydrated, healthy, and safe by providing the best filtered water products on the market today. Clearly Filtered makes insanely powerful water filters that completely blow the competitors out of the water. Clearly Filtered is independently tested and certified to remove over 272 harmful chemicals and toxins found in our drinking water today. They are easy to work with, family-owned, made in the USA, and passionate about trying to help provide us with clean and safe water every day. I love that Clearly Filtered is affordable compared to many other untested alternatives, has portable filtered water products to take on the go, and helps you stay safe and hydrated everywhere. Clearly filtered products are also eco-friendly and can significantly reduce plastic and water waste through their patented filtered technology. Join the tens of thousands of new customers today who have joined Clearly Filtered in the quest for better health through clean and safe water. Go to clearlyfiltered.com and use the code JUSTINGREDIENTS to save 15% off your order today. Andrea Allen is a mother of four girls and certified personal trainer who specializes in diastasis recti and helping moms to feel awesome again after babies. She has been featured on Good Morning America, People Magazine, The Doctor's Talk Show, as well as local news stations in her home state of Arizona. She is the owner of DFH Training, which has helped thousands of women improve their relationship with food, heal their core after babies, no matter how long it's been. She also empowers them to see that fitness and health are possible and doable as a busy mom. Get to know Andrea even more on her top 10 ranked fitness podcast, Make It Simple, where she focuses on simplifying health and fitness topics for the everyday mom. Welcome back, everyone, to the show. Today, I am really excited for our guest only because I want to ask her questions for my own health. She is a personal trainer, like the bio said, and I follow her on social media, on Instagram. This is how I found her, and I just love what she teaches. So I had to ask her to be a guest on the podcast. So thank you so much for being a guest here today. I am super excited to be here. I will say I looked forward to it all morning long because I feel mutual about you and your products and what you teach. And so I was like, I felt like I was doing the happy dance all morning to chat. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. So let's start with just um, telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got started as a personal trainer, things like that. Okay. So I actually got my degree in public health education. And then after I graduated, from BYU, I went into, I started teaching group fitness and I got my AFA certification. And then I switched and got my personal trainer license from NASM. From there, I did a bunch of continuing courses where I've learned about nutrition, pre and postpartum issues, postnatal issues. And my platform was more born because I had twins. We had fertility issues. I ended up doing, um, insemination. And then that failed. So we did IVF. And after my twins, I exercised all during pregnancy. I had the twins and I thought, great, now I'm just going to get back into teaching and coaching. And I felt like a hot mess. I like the inside of my body was a stranger to me. And it caught me off guard because I thought I'm a trainer. And I don't understand why I'm literally peeing my pants on my first run and couldn't figure out why. I went to a kickboxing class. I'm a big fan of kickboxing. I've taught it and I've done it for almost 20 years now. And I remember leaving the class crying because I couldn't do jumping jacks because I was peeing, my stomach hurt, and I just felt terrible. I had low back pain and I felt lost. And I had this lower belly that was sticking out and I'm doing all the things that, you know, mainstream fitness says to do that I've learned in school. And I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this is not working. And so I dove really heavily into research on diastasis recti, 
it is pronounced different ways. I will get that out of the way first. So, you know, like niche and niche. I've I've been in courses where they say diastasis and I've been in courses where they say diastasis. So we'll get that out of the way in the beginning. But I started taking courses on it. I researched it. I saw a pelvic floor specialist. And then I just dove really heavily into that and realized that there was so much more to the core, like literally the core of the body than I had ever been taught as a personal trainer, than I had ever been taught as a fitness expert. And it made me angry because I was like, how are we dealing with these women who are postpartum and just throwing them back into classes? And then, you know, whether they're three months or three years or 30 years, it doesn't matter how long, they're still feeling like my body's not the same. My, my core is not the same. And then we just nickname it the mommy pooch when it's literally a medical condition that we can improve like through proper core connection. So I built my platform out of that. I still do personal training, obviously, but I weave in core information and breathing and all the things into it because I think that's what makes women's health holistic. So I work with all women, but that's the base because I'm like, everybody needs to know how to use their core no matter who they are. Right. Well, I have to say that's what drew me to your social media account was because I was at the gym I have been working on my core for years. My baby is eight years old. So it's been years. And I feel like I don't have a strong core. And so people at the gym were like, you have to go follow her on social media. Like she'll teach you about your inner core and breathing and different exercises. And so um, that's what you're here to talk to us about today is the core. So let's start at the very beginning, the basics, and explain to people exactly what the core is. Okay, so the thing that we all think of when core, we're like, oh, yeah, the six pack. Well, the six pack is the most superficial layer. It is the outside of the core. Underneath that, we have the internal obliques, the external obliques, and then we have the transverse abdominals. The transverse abdominals literally wrap from the spine all the way around to the other side of the spine. So they literally brace the whole core. It's why they're also nicknamed the corset muscle because it wraps all the way around and it's your innermost layer. There's obviously some secondary muscles that help as well, like the quadrus lumbarum and the multifidus, which run along the back, and they kind of affect the transverse abdominals as well. But the big ones are obviously the external obliques, internal obliques, rectus abdominis, transverse abdominals, and then around connecting to the bottom to the pelvic floor, which is the region that everyone forgets. That's the base of the core. It's literally the bottom of the jug, so to speak. Mm. So those are the main muscles. And what's tricky is people really only think about the six pack. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So people talk about the core all the time about you Mm. need a strong core so that your lower back doesn't hurt or for this and that. So what does the strong core help us with? So you have to look at the body as in you know, there's opposing muscles. There's the front and the back of the body. So if we have a weak core, the back is going to take the brunt of the work. If you're bending over to pick up a kid and your core is not bracing itself properly from the inside, guess who's taking over? Your back. And your back's like, I don't like doing this alone. It's way better when the front of the core is involved as well. We work as a unit, as a corset. But 50% of the core is not working. The whole front side is not working. So then it creates back pain. Along with this, we learn to not breathe correctly. So then we stop using our diaphragm, which creates some shallow breathing. So our chest starts rising. And when our chest is rising, the diaphragm isn't turning on. And when the diaphragm doesn't turn on, the pelvic floor connects naturally to the diaphragm. So when you inhale with the diaphragm, the pelvic floor moves fluidly with it. So when we're not using our core, when we start to chest breathe, we develop that back pain, we turn off our diaphragm, and then our pelvic floor becomes weak because it's not fluidly moving during the day. So it's all interconnected. And oftentimes people think, oh, I just need to do more crunches or more planks. And it's more about what your core does in daily movements. When you're pushing a heavy grocery cart, when you're picking up a kid, when you're lifting weights, all of those things, the core matters. Yet in fitness, we've been taught generally to work the superficial muscles. And you got to think about it. If only the outside's working and the inside isn't working, then the outside's not going to be very effective at doing its job because the part that braces your spine is not doing its job. So it's really layered in the fact that it 
does so much more for making our daily life better than just, oh, I can do 20 crunches. Okay, so like you said, the crunches, the planks, things like that, are some of them not worth doing? Are there better ones than others? Are we supposed to focus on ones that help our inner core? So this is probably going to shock people. I don't do any crunches. Now, they're not bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but I think there's more effective things to really build the core from within. I think planks can be effective when they're done correctly. But like anything else, you shouldn't do exercises that you can't do properly if you can't work the inner core. So yes, first, the best way to honestly strengthen your core is to learn to breathe properly like simply breathing with your diaphragm and then learning to brace the core properly. From there, you add progressive inner core work, which people don't think about because we always only picture the crunches, but inner core work kind of mimics our daily lives. It's movements where you're under resistance. So like a plank where you're fighting gravity or limbs are moving away from the body. So it might be something where it's like a dead bug where your leg is going out and you think about real life. I'm reaching a heavy bag that's 20 pounds away from me. I want my core to brace. And it's the same movement as a dead bug. I'm moving a leg away, which is kind of heavy. And I want my core to brace. You can also do twisting movements are helpful and even just pushing and pulling movements. And so I show a lot of those on my Instagram and in my courses and stuff. But yeah, those are a little bit more effective. But definitely the base layer is first learning to breathe and to brace the core. And people are like, what does brace the core mean? What that means is that when I say breathing, you want to use your diaphragm and then you want to lift the pelvic floor milliseconds before you draw your transverse abdominals in. Remember I called it the kind of your inner core set. So you want to imagine a tight jacket zipping up, which tightens the inner core and then it helps brace it. So like it feels strong and content and steady. Does that make sense? Yeah. So are you saying that we should breathe like this throughout the entire day or just when we're working out? No. So when you're breathing throughout the entire day, you want to breathe with your diaphragm. You want to avoid chest breathing because that's turning off your core. And you got to think about your core. I mean, we say like core values, you know, that means like the things that matter most. So if we're not using our core, our body's not going to be effective because it's the base of our movements. We have limbs which obviously move away from our body, but the core is the base, like our core values. We build on top of that, if that makes sense. So you want to breathe with your diaphragm, which is using your core to breathe correctly. So you're not chest breathing. Chest breathing is very shallow. It's just your chest rising. A way that you can test this is literally sit on the couch. Don't move. Think about how you're breathing and pay attention. Is my chest rising when I breathe? Or can you put your hands on your ribs and say, oh, my ribs are expanding. One hand on your chest, one hand on your rib. And breathe normal and say, what do you feel? And that can help you know if you're simply breathing correctly. Like who knew breathing correctly was a thing? But during pregnancy, we have that baby in the belly and we start chest breathing because it's easier. And then we never work out of that back into traditional diaphragm breathing, which is what you do day in and day out. That is so interesting. I'm like sitting here going, I don't know which way I breathe. And so if people are chest breathers, is it just being conscious of now switching your breath or do you have little tips? Yes. So first, that's the first thing in when I work with someone postpartum, I say, first, let's literally focus on your breathing. Like no exercises, no bracing the core, just making sure your ribs are expanding, you're using your diaphragm because that will naturally help turn on your pelvic floor. I tell them to just be aware when they're sitting at a stoplight, when they're sitting, you know, watching TV, just every little while check in and say, okay, how am I breathing? Okay, my ribs are expanding. You can even put your hands on your ribs to see they should be expanding when you breathe naturally. Now you can do big inhales and exhales to make sure as you practice, but eventually it will just turn to normal breathing. From there, I take them into learning to actually do the core breathing, which is what you do during exercise, which is what obviously your friends were telling you about at the gym and stuff. And that is where we actually brace the core during a movement to protect the core and stabilize it. Okay. So when you're just sitting daily breathing, can you also put your hand on your stomach to see if that's going in and out? Yeah. So obviously if the ribs expand, the belly expands too, and that's normal. Watch a baby breathe. 
Have you ever watched That's a baby true. breathe? Yeah. When a baby belly. breathes, their ribs and bellies expand. Their chest doesn't go up and down. But I have been sitting on an airplane and look next to me and I'm like, oh, sister's breathing with her chest. I can see the chest going up and down. Yeah. So think about a baby. They naturally do it. And we become pregnant and we forget and we get stressed. So stress also brings us into our chest. It turns off our diaphragm. When we're stressed, you know, when you have anxiety or anything, it starts the chest breathing, which turns off the core that is working naturally. So interesting. I'm going to pay attention to that from now on. But I actually want to move on to the pelvic floor because I'm going to tell my listeners beforehand, I told you that I might cut it out. We might not have enough time. And you were like, no, it is the base <laughs> of the core. Like in order to understand the core, we've got to understand the pelvic floor. And I was like, oh, Okay, well, let's yes. do that. So maybe let's just start with telling people exactly what the pelvic floor is and then how that affects the core. Okay, perfect. So the pelvic floor basically sits at the base of the core. It's very much affected by pregnancy and postpartum, obviously, because the baby's sitting there. The pelvic floor, oftentimes when people say, I have leakage or I have, you know, pain or different things that are going on, it's caused by the pelvic floor. So when we are not bracing our core properly, and by bracing our core properly, I mean during the movements, you know, we're inhaling with a the movement, then we're exhaling. There's two parts to a movement. I'm going to explain this really quick so you can see how it affects the pelvic floor. When you're lifting weights, for example, you're inhaling as, for example, the bicep, a bicep curl comes down. Then you're going to exhale lift the pelvic floor like a Kegel, you're lifting it and you draw your transverse abdominals in as you lift the bicep curl up. That's the contraction, the muscle shortening. So in a bicep curl, there's the lengthen and then there's the contraction. The pelvic floor, like anything, is a muscle. So it has to know how to lengthen and how to contract. And so when I say we're lifting the pelvic floor, you want to imagine a elevator shaft going up, you want to imagine maybe sucking a thick milkshake up your lady region. And that is the lift. Okay. Then from there, you want to imagine relaxing it, lowering the elevator shaft. And that is the lengthening. They both really matter. So what happens is when we aren't able to do these things, and then we're not bracing the core properly during movements, for example, let's say we're sucking in which is common. People are like, oh, I have a belly. I'm going to suck in. They're sucking in. Imagine your belly as a balloon and something's pushing in the middle of the balloon. That's where you're sucking in. What does the balloon do? The balloon pushes down. Mm -hmm. That's pushing on your pelvic floor. It's pushing on your pelvic floor, which is either weak or tight. And then that's going to create leakage and many other issues. The key to the pelvic floor to improve it and improve some of those things, because that's the most common one is people notice leakage, is recognizing if you have a tight pelvic floor, a hypertonic, or a weak pelvic floor, which is a hypotonic pelvic floor. And they have different signs and symptoms for both of them. But that's the base of being able to strengthen the core because the pelvic floor is involved in strengthening the inner core. And also the pelvic floor is heavily related to leakage and pain with sex or SI joint pain or hip pain and back pain. So that's why it matters so much is that you can strengthen the core, but you truly can't, you truly can't train the core to do its job without inviting the pelvic floor to the party is basically how it works. Okay. So if you have a weak pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor, they both get the same exercises. No. So let's okay. talk about that. So they are different. So I'm going to give you examples of both. So Imagine the pelvic floor, like a weak pelvic floor and a tight pelvic floor as like two circles like this, where there's like an overlapping, if that makes sense. There's two circles and they overlap in the middle. Okay. So the overlap in the middle, some of the signs are the same and some are different. And the process is different because if it's a weak pelvic floor, which we'll talk about first, you want to learn to activate it and you want to strengthen it. If it's a tight pelvic floor, it's staying kind of contracted. It's tight. It's like a tight neck. Like if your neck is always scrunched, it doesn't feel good. It's got to learn to relax. Okay. And so that has a different set of, you have to learn how to breathe and some stretches, which I can explain about that. So first, some signs that overlap in both of them is SI joint pain, hip pain, back pain, leakage, trouble holding gas. 
Now, that so that's in both. The signs that link only really to a weak pelvic floor is sometimes tampons have a hard time staying in. Intimacy isn't as enjoyable as it was before. You have heaviness sometimes down there and you can't feel the pelvic floor lift. Like you can't feel the contraction at all. Oftentimes when people are trying to contract, they will overcompensate with their butt. I remember when I went to a pelvic floor doctor, she's like, okay, I need you um, to lift your pelvic floor, do a Kegel. And I was like, okay. And she's like, oh, you're squeezing your butt. And I was like, no, I'm doing, I'm doing it. She was like, no, you're literally squeezing your butthole. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't, it, I was so weak. I didn't even know how to use the muscle correctly. Interesting. So that's, yeah. So that's a sign of a weak pelvic floor. For a weak pelvic floor, you want to learn how to lift it, like we talked about, and then fully relax it. I do have a free breathing series, which talks about this, which you can link in your show notes. It's totally free. It's videos that explain it. But so that's what you want to do with a weak pelvic floor. Signs of a tight pelvic floor are painful sex, because you got to remember, imagine that scrunched neck, that tight muscle, it's uncomfortable. And so you can have pain with sex. You often are a butt clencher. You clench your jaw as well, because if you think about even your glutes, if you clench your glutes, the glutes are connected on the underside to the pelvic floor. So it's going to make the pelvic floor also tight if you're always squeezing your glutes, which people do out of stress. Also, people do it when they have poor posture because they're pushing their hips forward and then their glutes are always tight. So it makes the pelvic floor tight. Jaw clenchers also tend to have a tight pelvic floor. People with high stress or anxiety tend to have a tight pelvic floor because they're so tense that their whole body starts to get tension. And then that even goes down into the pelvic floor. And then it can have those overlapping signs, as I said, with leakage and the hip pain. So the reason, oh, one other sign of a tight pelvic floor is when people pee and then they have a second pee, like there's a pause mm. and then it releases again because the pelvic floor isn't fully relaxing to allow you to pee. So there's like a pause and then you pee again. And with a tight pelvic floor, you want to learn to relax the pelvic floor because it's tight. So you want to do stretches like happy baby pose or child's pose, things where you're learning to really breathe and meditate and relax the pelvic floor and think about lengthening it over lifting it because often they have a hard time lifting that pelvic floor because it's so tight. It's already kind of stuck. So they really want to think about releasing the pelvic floor. And I highly suggest seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist because they can do internal releases and they can teach you even how to do it. And it makes a huge difference. I've actually had both before. When I had the twins, um, I had a weak pelvic floor. I've developed hip issues. I have like a hip diagnosis and that's created some tightness. And so I've seen a, I've seen a pelvic floor specialist on both ends, even though I'm trained in it. It's different to see a doctor who can do a hands-on assessment. That is so interesting, all of that stuff. So if I have older ladies listening to this whose baby is maybe 15, 20, 30, can they still help their pelvic floor or is it too late? No, yes, you totally can. It's That's the beauty is with any muscle, you can always have improvement. You can always train your body to do what it needs to, but it's about awareness and it's about taking the time to do the exercises, to learn to lift the pelvic floor, to learn to relax the pelvic floor, or to not do that and learn to release it through stretching and breathing and master those too. It doesn't matter if you had a baby four weeks ago or 40 years ago, you can see changes. I had a doctor one time tell me, they say 50% of women over 65 have urinary leakage and they think that most of them will end up in diapers. Wow. I don't want to end up in a diaper. No. You don't want to end up in a diaper. So we got to get on that pelvic floor and be aware of it and then treat it properly based on if it is weak or tight. Okay. Now, people that haven't had children, can they still have pelvic floor issues? Yes. Yes. Because think about it. it it's an issue of um, it doing its job. And if your whole life you weren't really trained, the pelvic floor wasn't really trained or you were chest breathing or something else was going on before you have kids ever, you could have pelvic floor issues and then it's basically magnified afterwards. So yes, you don't have to have children to have a weak pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor. Okay, so I'm curious to know, do exercises like weightlifting or cardio, 
do they help at all or hurt at all? They don't help or hurt. It's an issue of doing them correctly with awareness. So, for example, with weights, a lot of women will start to lift heavy weights. And the way that they try to power that weight up is they hold their breath and then they power it up, you know, and when they're holding their breath, they're creating, remember, that downward pressure on the pelvic floor. And the amount of videos I've seen with women who are lifting heavy weights and they're they are peeing like I've seen it in CrossFit competitions they are peeing because they're not bracing the core properly. So when you're lifting weights, you can lift weights. I'm a big proponent of lifting weights. You want to exhale as you work against the weight. You want to exhale and lift that pelvic floor because remember that's bracing the core, that's protecting the core. And you actually can lift more and do more when you use your core. If you don't use your core in a pull-up, it's going to be a lot harder because the core isn't protected. And that's, remember, the base of your body. If you exhale and lift the pelvic floor as you go to pull up, work against the resistance, you're actually going to be able to do it better with that exhale and then inhale as you go down. So it's not about making it worse. It's about doing them more effectively to feel better when you're not exercising and be stronger when you are exercising. Maybe that's my problem with pull-ups. I need to focus more on the core. Are you holding your breath? Because that's common when we, when we get under stress or even under a heavy squat, we're like, hey, and everyone's holding their breath. And I'm like, ah, your core. <laughs> I honestly don't know if I'm holding my breath while doing pull-ups. I'll have to pay attention next time think I do about them. It. Yeah, that's think really about interesting. Ex- exhale on that up and think about drawing your core in. A way to tell, like some people say, well, how do I know if I'm drawing my core in? Or how do I know if my core is even strong enough? Get a balloon and blow up a balloon and see what your core does. If your core is bracing properly and if it's engaging properly, when you blow up the balloon, the core, the belly button will pull in. If your core is weak and you're not, the stomach will bulge out. So interesting. So you can test yourself and be like, oh my gosh, my stomach pushes out when I blow up a balloon. That means your core is weak and it's not gauging properly in movements. And a step before that, if you're like, well, how do I fix it? Grab a straw and blow on the straw and imagine blowing up a kid's floaty, but think about drawing your core in. Think about the belly button exhaling and the transverse abdominals drawing in. So you can practice just on a straw and then get different size balloons, obviously. And, you know, because some balloons, if they're really small or harder, if they're bigger and even blow it up a few times and train the core to come in. That's just an easy test to see. Is my core engaging properly when I exhale? Is it actually bracing? If it bulges out, it's actually not. If it draws in, that's like basically the corset zipping up. That is so interesting. I am going to go find a balloon today and see (laughs) what I do because I have no idea. Okay, so I know a lot of women complain about a weak core. So if they have a weak core, it's are they to start with the pelvic floor? Is that where they begin? So I would start them with the breathing. And then the the second thing I do suggest people check for is for diastasis recti. That is when the linea alba becomes stretched. So after you have a baby, basically during pregnancy, the linea alba stretches out to make room for the baby. For many women, that ends up, you know, when after we have the baby, it ends up coming back together and it's okay. But for 66% of women, the linea alba stays stretched out. And then that creates that lower belly, that weak core that they can't see changes in. The problem is then they often say, okay, great. I'm doctor approved or it doesn't matter five years, six years, 10 years. I want to improve my core. They jump straight into crunches. And if the linea alba is stretched, which is the line down the center of your core, if that's stretched every time you do that movement, it's only working the superficial layers and it's actually going to cause coning which is basically a ridge down the center of the stomach. That means your core is not engaging correctly. The amount of videos I see online of women of all shapes and sizes and fitness levels of the core pushing out blows my mind. Like I've seen fitness influencers who are huge and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's coning. She's coning. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But it's because the inner core is not engaging. So you have to first start with checking for that DR, thinking about the diaphragm breathing, and then learning to breathe and brace the core with transverse abdominal breathing or the core breathing. And that's the breathing where I said you inhale, 
then you exhale, you lift the pelvic floor and you draw your transverse abdominals in. That is definitely the number one thing. If you want your core to look better, feel better, you know, get stronger, learning to do that breathing alone is super effective. And then you add on the progressive movements where I talked about resistance, limbs moving away, twisting, any pushing, pulling movements and things like that. And then you can layer in when your core strong enough, planks and crunches and those things once you can do them effectively. So breathing is definitely the base. This is also fascinating. And that's actually what made me fall in love with your account was you were talking about all of this and the coning I found really interesting. But how do people know if they have diastasis recti? So you can go to an OB, they can check, you can go to a physical therapist, but you can actually check yourself as well. It's pretty easy. You basically are going to lay down on the ground and you're going to lift your head and feel along your core line. So you have your right ab and your left ab and the linea alba runs down the center. You're going to take one to two to even three fingers and feel along the core line. Start at the belly button and work your way up. And if there's a space there, like you feel a gap, like you can go down or wide If it's above two fingers or if it's pretty deep, you have DR, which is the short version for diastasis. You also want to go all the way up to your ribs and feel all the way up along that core line. And then you want to go below the belly button. You want to do this without the core engaged. And then you want to try to do a crunch where the core is engaged and feel along the core line and see if there is any space. I do have a video explaining and showing exactly how to do this. And I can send you over that video. You could put it in your show notes if you want, but it shows exactly how to self-check and exactly like it shows me doing it. So you can check yourself and be like, oh, I have like a three finger gap and it's pretty deep. Then you have DR and you want to work on the breathing and then you want to ease into progressive movements to challenge it from within before you go into crunches, before you go into planks, you need to fix it from the inside out first. Okay. So interesting. It blows my mind that 66% of women have this. Right? Um, I actually have it. That's why I'm so curious with everything that you say because, yeah, yeah, I have it. But a lot of women will say, oh, I have DR because my muscles tore while pregnant. It's not really a tearing. It's a stretching of the muscles, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people get, for example, a hernia confused with DR. So a hernia is actually a hole in the stomach lining. And it is caused by intra-abdominal pressure that's uncontrolled. So, for example, holding your breath or moving things, you know, where you're not bracing that core correctly. For diastasis, it's a thinning and weakening and stretching of the linea alba. So it's a little bit different in that there's not necessarily a tear in the lining. It's that it's very thin. Now, they are like sisters. A hernia and diastasis are literally sisters. They're similar, but they're different. They both affect the core. They're both caused by intra-abdominal pressure, but for a hernia with the whole, you do need surgery to improve it. You can prevent it from getting worse if you're bracing the core properly and learning to breathe and learning to protect it. But with diastasis, you can actually do exercises to train the core to come back together, to basically train the right ab and the left ab when you're doing something to come together like that corset instead of pushing open which is creating that coning. Like imagine a bread loaf down your stomach, or if it's a thin one, I, t- I tell people it's almost the size of a celery, like a ridge down the center of the stomach. So that's showing you're not using the core correctly because remember like blowing up the balloon, it should wrap in. You know, if it's bulging out, you're not doing it correctly, like blowing up the balloon. If you're doing it correctly, it will draw in. So interesting. So Are crunches making DR worse? Yes. If you are not using your core correctly, it's going to create a ridge because it's challenging the outside without the inside. So if you are doing a crunch and you see any sort of ridge, coning, bump down the center of the stomach, it does make them worse. Now, crunches are not (laughs) bad. Nothing is bad. It's about doing it effectively. So while... I'm not a huge proponent of crunches. You can easily add crunches back in, but you have to be able to do them correctly. There's no such thing as no, no exercises or only these. It's about what you can do 
correctly. So yes, I would read, I would take crunches out. I would take most traditional exercises out while you work on your inner core, figure out the transverse abdominal breathing where you're learning to use the transverse abs, use the pelvic floor, connect them during movements, and then you can layer in progressive overload to challenge them which is going to make them get stronger from the inside out. And then they can effectively do a plank because your core knows how to connect. And that's kind of the key. Okay. So what do you say to women who are going to these gym classes, um, you know, the organized classes, and they do three, four minutes of crunches or whatever, what should they do during those four or five minutes? That is something that hurts my heart because uh, I used to teach classes and I would say, okay, everyone do this. And then I'd say, if you, if you just had a baby, if you have diastasis, I would give them a different move. And people in the class would be like, who is this woman that's giving us two different sets? I would highly suggest learning to, to do the breathing and, and getting online or even getting on my social media handle and looking all of the core exercises I show on there are all for the inner core. So go to class with some ideas. Go to class knowing, okay, I'm a beginner, so I'm going to try heel slides. I'm going to try knee drops. I'm going to do a pelvic tilt. That's a beginner level. I'm an intermediate person. I'm going to try tap downs from a 90 degree position where like your knees are up, if that makes sense. And I'm going to just tap my heels down and I'm going to make sure that I'm exhaling, lifting the pelvic floor when my foot taps down and then inhaling when it comes up. I'm going to try a hover hold where you engage the core and you come onto all four and you lift your knees up. I'm advanced, maybe. If you can do those beginner intermediate levels, then you're going to want to go into a dead bug or movements like that. But if you go to my social media handle and look at any of the core workouts, sub those in. Sub them in. I cue the breathing. I cue the breathing visually. And I also audibly cue the breathing because I know people learn differently. So I cue the breathing in both of them of what you're supposed to be doing when you're doing them and just sub them in. I know this is the other thing. In those classes, people think, I don't want to do something different. People will stare at me. Mm -hmm. I promise you as a teacher, (laughs) because I taught for maybe 12, 15 years before I stopped, Everyone is looking at themselves. I promise you, when I would teach, I would watch the eyes and they were all looking at themselves in the mirror. No one's going to notice you're doing something different because they are too concerned with their form, how they're feeling, how they're looking, that they're not going to notice if you're doing something totally different. If it makes you feel a little bit better, go up to the teacher before and say, you know what? I have some core issues and I'm going to sub in for your core stuff, something different. Just in case you're worried, they'll point out like, What are you doing or something, which they shouldn't. If they're a good teacher, they really shouldn't be doing that. But you can let them know that as well and just sub in and do what's right for you. You have to do what's right for you to to heal the core. Right. Well, when I see people doing other exercises, I think it's actually cool. I'm like, oh, I wonder why they're doing that. I wonder if that's more beneficial or something, you know? So, okay. So question, because you did talk about surgery just for a second. Can you do surgery for DR or no? Yes, you totally can. So my thought process about surgery is some people have very large gaps. And so when I'm saying gap, when we're doing that self-check, sometimes it can be very deep, which is a connective tissue. So people can even get like down to their knuckle in. It's that deep. So the connective tissue is that weak. Or it can be very wide, which means they could stick three fingers in a row not like not in line with the core, but in the opposite direction of the core, three, four, five fingers in a row. So it's very wide with proper breathing and learning the core exercises to strengthen it from within. You can decrease that space and you can improve it. For some people, the severity matters. People ask me, well, how long will it take until my core is healed, until it lays flatter, until it feels better? That depends on the depth and width of your diastasis. So for some people, they can see changes within a couple of weeks. Some people, it's a couple months. Some people, it can be a couple of years. But you want to be consistent with those movements because you can see it improve. For some people, that space is so wide that they might need surgery eventually, but you can still improve a lot on your own and you can make it functional. So for example, I still have a two-finger gap at two fingers, they still kind of consider that DR. But 
I have learned to use the core correctly so I can functionally do the movements and get my core to do its job. I don't need surgery because I'm my core is doing its job. For some people, if they're going from a five finger space to three, they may still feel weakness. They may still feel um, insecure. They may still have some pain. They can do surgery. Now, my thought about surgery is a lot of people want the quick fix and not that surgery is bad. I'm not saying that, but I would still learn how to breathe and use the core properly because even if you sew up that DR, if you are not breathing correctly and if you are not bracing the core properly, you can still develop a hernia. Right. You can still you can still have a weak core that's not bracing you properly during a pull up because right. you're not breathing correctly. Your store your core can still push out when you're blowing up a balloon. Like it it still has the same underlying problem. So if you feel like surgery is a fit for you because your space is so large, that's okay, but I still would work on the breathing and the inner core work because you want the core to do its job. It's not just about looks. It's about the core feeling better. So when you fix that, it can help improve it. It can help the core feel better in some ways, but there's other ways that you have to learn how to use it properly. So good to know. Okay. So I have a question about how often we should do core exercises. Is this a thing that we should do every day um, or every other day? And for how long? Like five minutes, a half hour? What's your thought? So I feel like people look at it as, um, okay, I'm going to do it for three minutes and then I'm done throughout the day. If you are working on your breathing and you're doing the inner core exercises that I show on my page, my guides kind of explain it as well. There's a lot of PTs who teach it as well. Like I can give some references for those, but if you're only working those for three minutes and then you go about your day and you're completely unaware of your posture, completely unaware of how you're breathing, completely unaware why you're lifting weights, it's, it's counter effective. Like it's not, it's not working. It, it's, it's outweighing the things you're doing in your life are outweighing. For example, when I was pregnant, um, we got our houseboat stuck and I do the core exercises while I'm pregnant. You know, I make sure to use my core while I'm pregnant. And a lot of people make that mistake in that when they get pregnant, they're like, Oh no crunches. And then they completely ignore their core. And I'm like, Oh no, that's when you should still train the core because it has so much pressure, but you're doing it from the inside through breathing. So anyway, when I was pregnant, our houseboat got stuck. I'm going to help my family push the houseboat. And most people would be like, Oh, you can't do that because you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, I know how to use my core. So I would inhale deeply using my diaphragm. I exhaled, lifted the pelvic floor, started exhale, wrapped my transverse abdominals in, and I pushed on the boat just along with everybody else because I was using my core efficiently. Now, if I did those couple of exercises in the morning and then went about my life and had held my breath and pushed on that boat, it would cause problems. But it's about weaving it in naturally. When you pick up a kid, exhale, brace your core, lift the kid. When you're pushing something heavy, you're moving furniture, do not hold your breath. Exhale, lift the pelvic floor and draw the transverse abdominals in. So remember like sucking up the milkshake, lifting the pelvic floor. When I say draw the transverse abdominals in, imagine zipping up a tight jacket. Sometimes people like the cue of the belly button goes in and up, but it's not sucking in. You can still breathe, but you're bracing the core. So it's making a core connection, but not holding your breath. So weaving it in daily is really important. It's the same thing with strength training with all of the movements. So while you can do the core exercises, I suggest, you know, four to five times a week, a handful of exercises, you really want to think about what your core is doing and make sure it's doing things effectively throughout the day, your daily activities, your strength training, and even cardio. So interesting. Okay, so we're going to focus on your exercises from your page daily, but yeah. more importantly, focus just like on our breathing and how we're using our core throughout the day as we're doing our daily activities. Yes. And I know that breathing is the hard piece. And so I, like I said, I do have a free breathing series, which explains it because I know to me, I'm like, I need everyone to know how to do the core breathing and to know how to brace the core. So it's totally free. It's a three video series of three videos, which teaches how to find the pelvic floor and then how to wrap the transverse abdominals in. And then you weave that into movements. 
So are people going to find this on your website or your Instagram page? It's it's both. So if you go click on the bio in my Instagram page, you'll see the free transverse abdominal heal your core breathing or it's on my website as well. It's both. Okay, perfect. Okay, you mentioned a little bit about being pregnant and core exercises. So let's actually talk about that for a minute. If people focus on their core while they're pregnant, does that help prevent DR or no? Yes, yes and no. So there's layers. I want to say yes, because you have to understand everyone's body is different. So for example, you know, our height, our weight, you know, our genetics all play a role. But when you focus on utilizing your core and using it correctly during pregnancy, your core muscles are going to be better at doing their job. So even during pregnancy, you can see coning. Like if someone is laying down and they sit up, they'll even see it really big when they're pregnant. It looks like a bread loaf. It's really big. So the core has to separate to make room for the baby. That is normal. Like the 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 linea alba has to stretch to make room. That's normal. But if you've worked on the breathing and brace the core throughout the pregnancy during movements, like I said, when I push the houseboat during, you know, just practicing that breathing, it's going to keep those muscles strong and active. So after you have the baby, they're more likely to connect back faster and to allow you to ease back into movements correctly because they're doing the job correctly. So yes, it can prevent DR for sure. For me, I know with my twins, I did not understand that style of breathing or core work. And so right afterwards, my core was weak. I didn't do anything to learn to use it correctly during the pregnancy. And then afterwards, I jumped into things. My core wasn't strong enough thinking that would fix the issue, but it actually had the opposite effect. And that's what happens to a lot of people too. They have the baby and they are like, okay, great. Like I'm going to get a strong core again. And they start crunches and it actually irritates it. So yes, during pregnancy, it is super effective to learn how to do the breathing. Same breathing videos work during pregnancy and learn how to brace that core. In fact, I have a pinned video on my Instagram where it shows me doing the breathing pregnant and it shows me doing it not pregnant. So you understand. And some people say, are you hurting the baby? I'm like, it's like hugging the baby. It's literally using the muscles and it's like a hug. Like it's some people who don't understand the breathing can think that, but it doesn't do anything. The baby's got so many layers around it. And so it teaches you. So that's a good visual for people. Yeah, it's a great video. I love that one. Okay, so let's talk about exercising while pregnant. While you're pregnant, can you do core exercises then? So I wouldn't suggest the traditional ones because obviously you don't want to be doing crunches and stuff, but they're not working the core in the best way anyway. You want to be doing the breathing and you want to be doing exercises that are in because you also don't want to lay directly on your back. So that's the other thing. Once you are out of your first trimester, there's a major blood vessel that runs down your back that helps feed the baby and you don't want to lay directly on your back. So you can do the breathing seated, standing on your side or on in an all four position. Now, you focus on just the breathing and then you can do simple things where you're learning to brace the core and you're pulling on a band or you're in an all four position and you're lifting your knees off the ground. So it's putting resistance on the core, but it's not going to cause the issues that like a crunch would would cause. And in pregnancy, people often, as I mentioned, they stop doing core work because we know like, oh, crunches aren't great when you're pregnant. They're actually not good for you at all. So then they just do nothing for the core when you can really still do that breathing. And the breathing and stuff actually helps with labor and stuff. So it makes it even easier because you're using you're using your transverse abs better once you're in labor because you're understanding where they are. So interesting. I do think there is that misconception out there that pregnant women can't do any core exercises. Oh my so gosh. It is the opposite. I like if you scroll back on my social media as well and in my guide, I have a pregnancy guide. You will see me doing all kinds of exercises, but you will watch my stomach. The cool thing about pregnancy is you can see the breathing because the belly's pushed out so far. You can see the movement when the core is bracing properly. And it makes a huge difference because even during pregnancy, they're like, okay, hold your breath and push like you're pooping. And it's like, no, that's just creating intra-abdominal pressure. 
learn how to exhale and use your transverse abdominals as you're pushing out. You know, you want to relax the pelvic floor, but then you want to exhale as you're pushing. And it actually uses the muscles that you could have been training the whole pregnancy. So interesting. I'm sure I uh, did not use the right muscles at all while pushing during delivery. Okay, let's talk though about exercising while pregnant. Are you okay with people doing both cardio and weightlifting? Or do you think one's better than the other? What do you recommend for pregnant women? I think you should do both. Um, they've done studies where they show a lot of people are, are fearful of exercise while they're pregnant. And they've done studies where they have checked babies at one month and they have of a mother who is exercising, they have higher motor skills at one month at the checkups. Some of them have higher brain function at one month of the checkups. And I think it's because when you exercise, your body is working efficiently and it teaches the baby's body inside to work efficiently. There's a ton of studies by National Institute of Health explaining how it actually can be beneficial for the baby. So I don't think exercise is bad at all. The other thing is, in general, when we sit, I mean, have you ever sat for a long time and then stood up and then you're like, oh, I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what we do a lot of times when we're pregnant where it might feel uncomfortable to move at first, but it actually does help prevent those aches and pains that you have. When you learn how to breathe properly and use your core properly, it helps reduce back pain. So it can help the core because remember, now the back isn't doing all the work like we talked about in the beginning. The core and the back are doing the work together, which makes it so the back isn't taking the brunt by itself. So it can be beneficial in that way as well. It can also be beneficial in labor because you have the capacity to go through the labor because it's hard work to have a baby. It is hard, hard work. So there's definitely some benefits. Even with strength training, it helps keep the supporting ligaments and muscles really strong. I mean, you're holding that baby in your belly. You've got the hip flexors there. You've got the glutes, you know, that attach back. If you're pushing your hips forward and your glutes are inactive, it's going to create more back pain. But if you have good posture and strong glutes, it's going to make it easier to have better posture in general, which is going to create less back pain. So all the supporting muscles and ligaments all make a difference and it all makes a difference afterwards because muscle memory is real your body remembers and if you do nothing before it's going to be harder to feel like yourself again after in some ways i mean every pregnancy is different i'm not naive to think that some people i understand there's bed rest i understand there's lots of different issues so you have to do what's right for you but movement is powerful it's really powerful and it doesn't have to be extreme. People always imagine like, okay, well then I got to run. I got to, no, no, you just walk. If you're struggling, just walk, you know, use some weights that feel good for you. Listen to your body, pay attention to what you feel, make sure you're breathing with your diaphragm and you'll be good to go. Well, I know I have listeners who I think their fear is doing too much because they'll constantly totally. ask me like, well, is there a certain amount that I'm supposed to not lift over? Or is there a certain heart rate that I shouldn't get above? Yeah. And so what do you say to that? I think it depends on the individual because I had a whole conversation with my OB about this. And every doctor is going to tell you a different heart rate. So I do suggest that you talk to your doctor about it. I talked to my doctor and I remember talking to him about the same thing. In the first trimester and the second trimester, there's not as much blood flow. So typically your heart rate can be a little higher. Again, you want to address that with the doctor. But what I can do at a heart rate is very different than someone else who maybe not be as experienced. So for example, me sitting at 140 beats per minute isn't hard on my body. My body is very comfortable with that. I'm used to exercising. I've done it my whole life. So I don't stress out the baby, I believe, when I'm sitting in that point. Someone else who doesn't exercise, who's all of a sudden like, I'm going to exercise now that I'm pregnant, that could be hard on them. So they want to slowly ease in and you want to listen to your body and how you're feeling. If you're super out of breath, please stop, take a break, walk around, take some deep breaths. In the last trimester, you have like double the amount of blood flow going through. So your heart rate is going to skyrocket and you do need to take it down a notch. You do need to take more breaks. You need to be less high impact because that's also a baby bouncing on your pelvic floor and you need to probably lighten some weights and pay attention to how you feel. I do kickboxing through my whole pregnancy, but you better believe it. in the last trimester, my sessions are shorter 
And my rest breaks are three times as long to make sure my heart rate is not skyrocketing up. So you do want to ask your doctor and you do want to pay attention to how you feel. If you're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm a, I'm chest breathing. I can't take my breath. Stop. Slow down. Allow your body to regulate. Allow your heart rate to come down and pay attention to how you feel. And that's going to vary by the person and by your doctor's recommendations. Such great advice. I love all of that. One other thing that I should have asked you is I get a lot of times too from followers. They'll say, are there any exercises I should avoid? So besides the crunches, are you good with everything else as long as they're listening to their body and watching their heartbeat, things like that? I think that most things you can do towards the end of the, you know, towards the third trimester, I would very much avoid high impact because it is hard on your pelvic floor. I would also be aware of twisting motions and stuff in the third trimester simply because the core is under a lot of stress. It is literally trying to grow human and trying to brace your body and trying to do a lot of things at once. And then you have hormones like relaxin, which are making all your ligaments and tissues loose and your joints loose. And so it can affect it that way. So in my opinion, I don't necessarily think, I mean, we talked about not laying on your back and we've talked about not high impact, but I would really be okay with slowing down in the last trimester. I still listen and lift pretty heavy, but I really make sure I'm using my core. I really make sure my form is okay. And I don't have a problem with that, but I do take my cardio way down in the last trimester. In fact, when I'm teaching, I stop teaching at least a month before the baby because I'm coaching and I'm doing the, the cardio and my heart rate is just too high. And I know that and I can do it, but I can tell it's a stress. So be okay with saying, I don't need to stress my body out. And I would heavily focus on strength training during that last trimester because it doesn't affect the heart rate quite like cardio does. And it is low impact. That makes complete sense. Okay. I know we need to wrap up here and I didn't really get to postpartum. So I know I'm going to have listeners ask, what is your best advice for those that are dealing with postpartum and just starting to get back into exercising? What are your tips? First, you are a baller. You just had a baby. Sorry. Being a mom is hard. It's really hard. And you need to give yourself some grace. You just made a human being. That's really hard. And be okay with easing in slowly. I promise you, you will be better off if you don't try to jump back in as quick as possible. I made that mistake with my twins. If I could stop anyone from doing anything, I would be like, do not jump in too fast. Start simply with breathing, using your diaphragm, making sure you're not using your chest then look into that core breathing, then slowly add walks, walking. I remember the first time I went on a walk, I had hemorrhoids mm -hmm. <laughs> from, you know, doing it wrong after my twins and feeling like, I don't even know who I am anymore. It's okay. That's okay. Slowly add the walks. Then you're going to want to add strength training. Start lightweight. Even if you lifted heavier weights postpartum, I mean, during pregnancy, your body is in a different spot right now. It just went through a very serious event of laboring a baby. Your weights need to be lighter and that is okay. Slowly start with light weights, slowly increase them. I typically tell people start with seated exercises, laying exercises, really think about what the core is doing as you're working against the weight. And then, you know, moving to standing exercises, I would work on body weight with squats first. Do not load your bar. Do not throw dumbbell dumbbells on your shoulders the first time you do a squat. Squat, think about inhaling on the way down, exhaling, lifting the pelvic floor, wrapping the transverse abdominals in. Do it as an air squat, then slowly add weight and slowly increase and make sure you're keeping that same motion. And then you can even move into like lateral movements and do all of those before you add any high impact, before you add any crunches or planks. Focus on those things first. Think constantly. And I know it's slow. Like when I remember when I eased back into a squat, feeling like this is so slow. Okay, my breathing's right. I'm inhaling, then I'm exhaling, lifting as I stand. So I'm 
like I said, I'm inhaling on the eccentric when the muscle is lengthening. I'm exhaling on the contraction as I stand and feeling that was boring. And I worked on that for a while. And then I added 10 pounds. Then I added 20 pounds. Then I added 30 pounds. And then I kept going. But it's a slow and controlled thing because the last thing you want is to be six, eight, nine months down the road and be like, I am lifting, but my core is a mess. I'm leaking. I have back pain. I feel terrible because you eased back in too fast. So be okay with going slow and know like it feels long in the moment, but it's not. It's not. It actually ends up being fast. Yeah, I so agree. I actually wish I had known that after I had my kids because I think I just jumped right back in. And it's been really interesting at one of the gyms that I go to, there is a famous person who works out there. And after she had her baby, I was shocked at how light she was lifting. And she's like, believe me, I know what I'm doing. Like I need to work on my breathing and lift really light. And now a year later, she you know, is lifting heavier than she did, has ever lifted and she looks amazing. So there's a girl that I know she was in the CrossFit games and she has my postpartum guide. And I mean, she was in the CrossFit games. This woman is an animal, like she can lift. And she just showed her first postpartum workout and she's doing heel slides. She's literally breathing and practicing exhaling as her heel slides out and inhaling as it slides in. And she says, you start light. You start light and you work up and that's okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, will you tell my listeners where they can find you and all of this valuable information? You can find me at Deliciously Fit and Healthy. I know it's a long name. I made it like almost 10 years ago when I thought it was a cool name and I should have known better. (laughs) (laughs) And now once you have your blue check, they won't let you change things. So here I am still with the name, but you can find me at Deliciously Fit and Healthy on Instagram on TikTok. And then I have a podcast called Make It Simple with Andrea, where I break down complicated health topics, a lot of women's health stuff. I love the guests we have on there as well. And I do obviously coaching where I do hands-on coaching online. So I can take clients anywhere all over the world where we do hands-on and we work on nutrition and inner core and workouts. Or I do have some self-led guides for postpartum and pregnancy, and especially the core. I have a whole guide on just figuring out how to improve the core. And it is, it's awesome, but it's different than what people think because it's through breathing and inner core work. I am so glad my friends told me about you and I'm so glad I found you on um, Instagram. And I'm really excited to go back and listen to a lot of your podcasts because listeners, she has a really top rated podcast. So I'm excited to go listen to all of those. Thank you. I actually close my podcast with asking all of my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Persistence. And the reason I would say persistence is I feel like in our society, we're really good at wanting things now. I mean, Amazon, I can order and it can be in my house in three hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we start to think things that are really worth having that we can get quick. And that's not the truth with money, with fitness, with health, with, you know, healing postpartum, with healing our core, with relationships, it takes persistence. It takes constant effort and it doesn't have to be painful. It just needs to be consistent. And I honestly believe no matter what your goals are in any aspect of life, if you're persistent, you'll get there. The road may be really ugly. It's never straight. There's all kinds of twists and turns and, you know, scary, scrolly parts, but you'll get there if you're persistent. So that's a big one for me because that's how I healed my core was persistence. That's how we built our business. We started our business. I was on food stamps and that's how we started. Actually, same. Yes, I know that. we, We had no money. We started, but it was persistence. And so that to me, I'm like, you can do anything with persistence. I love that so much. And all my guests that I've had, no one has used that word. And as you're oh, I'm saying, shocked. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right. And as you say that word, I always love to choose a word for the following year to just focus on. And I'm like, maybe that's my word that I'm going to focus on in 2023. So that was a great thought. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and I was just going to say to wrap it up, thank you so much for taking the time to be here because I know you are so super busy being a mom and a podcast host and doing your social media. So 
I really do appreciate you taking the time. So thank you. Thank you so much. I love being here. And to be honest, I'm happy to talk about the core any day, all day. <laughs> I'll eat, sleep and drink it to help women realize you're not stuck. You you know, you can see changes and there's doors, but it's about opening them and being persistent once you open them. Right. And I love that because I was feeling stuck eight years later. I'm like, my darn core is not doing any better than it was eight years ago. And so finding you, I'm like, yeah, I'm not stuck. I just have been doing the wrong thing. So now I'm changing 100%. it up. So thank you yes. again for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram. <laughs>